Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ed Krasnick, my co-host, Jennifer Kalari, coming up in just a minute. And we're the show that uh, talks about all kinds of mental health issues. We talk about brain hacks. We talk about mental health in the world today. We also do skills. We do resilient skills. We do all kinds of simple things that you can do every day in any moment that can make your life a little bit easier and that can actually help your brain and help you relate to your thoughts and feelings in a better way. That's that's what we're trying to do. If everybody had a relationship with themselves that was a little bit more conscious, the world would be a different place because the way that you would relate to yourself is the way that you would relate to other people. Now, knowing that and thinking about the way that I relate to myself, it's a very scary world. And and we don't understand why it isn't even worse. But sometimes just being aware of things is uh, the antidote. It's the key to making better choices in life. And that is way too long to put on a bumper sticker. So I'm never going to make a lot of money like the Keep Calm and Carry On uh, store people. No pain, no gain. Whoever came up with that one ruined mental health for about 100 years. First, I want to tell you, on today's show, we have a great guest. We have an old friend who is just a really terrific comedian, a touring comedian for over 25 years, someone who has two podcasts, including the ever-popular The Dork Forest and the Lori and Jackie podcast, which is with Lori Kilmartin and our guest today, Jackie Cation. She also has the number one album on Amazon, number one comedy album. And her last name is spelled Cation, K-A-S-H-I-A-N. The name of her album, Stay Cation. Okay? She is with us. Jackie is with us, going to join us in just a little bit. I want to talk today about a few things. I want to talk today about roles, roles that you play in in life. Not R-O-L-L-S, not like a dinner role, but like a role. What kind of role are you playing in your life now, if, if any? And I guess if you're really being yourself, you're not playing a role. But how many people are doing that? I don't know. But I go in and out of roles. Maybe it's being a son. Maybe it's being a husband. Maybe it's being a father. But we're going to talk a little bit about roles, maybe. We'll talk about aging parents. It's not a popular topic, but it is something that people face. And we're going to talk about people who have trouble making a decision. And I can't even decide what comes next in the show. We're also going to maybe talk about food and mood. We're going to talk about any of those things. I always like to cast a wide net because you never know what's going to come up exactly. We have plans, but we also allow for for all kinds of things to come in on the show. Today's show is brought to you by The Rundown. And The Rundown is a shop, an online store, for people who like to avoid things. It is a store that has all kinds of outerwear, T-shirts that say, what are you running from? You can run and you can hide, feeling run down till sundown, all kinds of things. And the idea of the store is to uh, get rewarded. Count your steps for avoiding. So it has a a meter that you can wear on your list. Every time you avoid something, it actually rewards you. And the reason for this shop 
is that by rubbing it in your face, it actually makes you more aware of it and makes you realize, I don't have to do that. So it's kind of a reverse psychology uh, shop. And all of our clothes, of course, are reversible. So you can always reverse direction. You can run and you can hide. It's uh, fun down till sundown at the rundown. I always like to welcome people based on whatever emotional state they're in. So here is quickly emotional shoutouts. If you're exhausted by making a protein shake, welcome. If your dentist says open wide and you say no, welcome. If you get on an elevator and yell Geronimo, welcome. If you feel like a daredevil for ordering off the menu, welcome. And if you've started to communicate with your family by miming, welcome. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Well, it's time once again for the soothsayer of the cerebellum, for the nanny of neuroplasticity, and for the duchess of dopamine. Ladies and gentlemen, Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Ed, new ones. I love it. We're trying to be fresh. It's very fresh. Thank you. Yeah, we're trying to get fresh. When I was a kid growing up, I played a role that really wasn't a kid. It was more like an adult person in my family. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people experience that. They take on like more than they than their age. Mm-hmm. Talk about adult children often. But different roles, how can a role sort of trap you and how do you become aware of like what the right role is for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think sometimes we sort of carry these roles around and don't even realize that you can question them and then you can change them. We, we sort of lost the awareness. You know, I see this a lot as a family therapist because I do a lot of you know family therapy work and you really look at the different dynamics in a family and You'll see different roles being played all the time. One of the most common ones is, you know, we have kids, you know, the parents may come to me because one child is having difficulties, really angry, has some behavioral issues. I affectionately call kids like that gladiators. They're just the sassy, feisty kids that are just always saying no and why and why do I have to? And often the other sibling or the other siblings will be really, really good, like overachieving, super careful, not asking for a lot. And just really, they're sort of compensating, knowing that the other child just takes so much energy from the parents and so much of the parents' time and kind of sucks the oxygen out of the room sometimes. There's not a lot left for them. So they play the role of being the really good kid and not asking for anything. And you know what's interesting about that role is they're certainly learning how to cope. They're learning probably some very good skills for, for later on. But they're also learning not to have their needs met and learning to be very small when there's difficulties. And one of the really interesting things, Ed, is when I work with families and we alter the behavior of the child that's having difficulty and the family kind of settles down and that child is really quite different and much calmer. And what's really interesting is the kid who's the calmer one, the one who's sort of been the perfect one. I always warn the parents about this. Get ready because that child is going to take up some room. All of a sudden, they're going to start mimicking some of those behaviors and being you know, a little bit more difficult. And it's actually quite a healthy sign. It's showing that they're sort of spreading their wings a little bit and figuring out what they can get away with. If the parents just follow the same lovely strategies that we teach them, that child will settle down too. But it shows you how as, as siblings, either your own children or you as a sibling, have taken on roles that just kind of compensates in a family. 
And then you forget to question it. I don't need to play that role anymore. I'm an adult. (laughs) I can let that go. Yeah. So they talk about a family system, right? That a Mm -hmm. family is a system. If one person is doing something, it affects the other people and vice versa. Absolutely. So how do you become aware in a family of what your system is and what's not working? Mm. That really does take, we, we talk a lot about being the witness, just witnessing yourself, just sort of stepping back and being curious. Why do I do that? How come I always end up feeling this way? What is going on? And just question and, and be curious and observe some of the patterns. And we, it's amazing how we don't do this. Like We're just so used to it that we don't even think about it, but it really is possible to step outside yourself and have that awareness. And it's interesting because families really are systems. And when you tinker with one thing, then it kind of throws off something else. And I don't remember who said this, but it's so brilliant. And, it, and I'll date myself with this quote, but it, it's sort of like four people sleeping on a waterbed, right? If one person rolls over, everybody else feels the wave. And that really is what it's like to live in a family. And even if you're not living with your family anymore, you're adults and you've, you've kind of moved on. We really do affect one another. So the first step is to really just witness yourself, ask questions. Why am I feeling this way? Why did I just say that? How come I always get quiet? Or how come I always feel like I have to defend myself? Just start being curious about those patterns. What is something that a family can do? And before I before I ask that, I just want to mention that my family did uh, sleep in a waterbed. <laughs> and we, we all slept in it together. And my father snored so loudly that when I was a kid, I, my best friend and I dropped a microphone down his throat when he was sleeping so that we could record to prove to him how much he snored. I mean, it was really, the roof would go off the house. That's wow. how much he snored. It would just wow. go up and down like a cartoon. Mm-hmm. My grandmother, who, you know, God rest her soul, was you know, had some schizophrenia going on. I'm, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying this woman had some issues. The Krasnick family, a who's who of despair. <laughs> kind of a kind of a crazy house. But boundaries were not big in my family. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if people have boundaries. Probably most families don't do this, but having long conversations while you're in the bathroom, <laughs> right? Yeah. What are you going to have for dinner? While you're in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. No need for that. Well, it's really, I mean, some there's different boundaries of different families are comfortable with different things, but boundaries are hard to set. Right? We we get afraid when we set a boundary that we're going to offend someone or we're going to hurt someone or we're going to change the dynamics and suddenly we're not going to be appreciated or loved. There's deep deep issues sometimes in setting boundaries, but it's really important to do that and there's ways to do it in a very strong but very loving way so that you can, you know, protect yourself and have the space that you need. How do you practice setting boundaries? Well, it's a good question. I mean, part of it is it practice, like actually just come up with it ahead of time, like trying to come up with a, a good boundary statement when someone's right in front of you that you love or that you're intimidated by or that you haven't set a boundary before is really scary. So come up with the boundary ahead of time. And I usually suggest a formula where you connect before you correct. So you connect first. I love you. I love that we're so close. And I love these big, long conversations and that we feel so comfortable being in the bathroom and all that. But you know what? I'm kind of feeling like, right? So you connect first and talk about what's good and what the positive things are first. And then you say, but the problem is I'm no longer comfortable with that, or I am not comfortable coming over every single Friday night or whatever it is. The key is to be really confident. If you sound really apologetic, if you sound really afraid, if you sound like, "Uh, I don't know, then the person's going to pick up on that. 
But if you just set your boundary in a really strong but loving way, the other person will usually respond quite well. But you have to practice. (laughs) Say it a few times by yourself. Have a few imaginary conversations first. So, yeah, we and we've said this, but it really is true. You can rehearse anything. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not on a Broadway stage like nobody's judging you. You can rehearse anything. What will I say? How will I say it? Am I going to write it down? Maybe I'll just speak it out loud so I can practice it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll say it to myself. Maybe I'll say it to a mirror. Maybe I'll say it to my friend. You know, you can rehearse anything. It's really okay, and it doesn't make you crazy. It makes you human. And prepared, exactly. And prepared. That's right, because in the moment, when your heart starts racing and you start getting nervous and you're like, uh-oh, I can see they're getting upset. We're going to do this dance that we normally do, and they're going to speak to me, and it's going to be days of this and all of that stuff. Our frontal lobe, which is the part of the brain that's actually constructing the boundary and constructing the sentence, goes offline. And you're now just panicking. You're now in fight, flight, or freeze mode. And it's really difficult to construct a meaningful, loving sentence that actually makes sense. So practice it a bunch of times and then walk into that situation and with confidence say it. And the other issue is like, I mean, everybody's family is different and I'm sure there's very extreme families out there. But for the most part, you know, we're afraid of the other person's reaction. And usually if we're afraid to set a boundary with someone, it's because they get very upset and they've been very angry before. But the truth is they've probably gotten angry many, many times before and you've survived them all. So what's the worst that can happen? The person's going to be upset and you have to learn to tolerate that they're upset and hold on to what you need in that situation and be a good friend to yourself. Mm, I like it. I think that those kind of things, they seem really simple, but it's it's a big deal if you it just rehearse heavy. anything and prepare a little bit the more you do that, the more that those things snap in in the moment. All of a sudden you have that muscle and, you know, it's like, wow, where'd that come from? Well, I actually rehearsed it. I actually said these things to myself or I said these things to someone else or I took an extra minute. So, you know, I need a minute. For me, like one of the biggest things is being able to say, I don't know how I feel. I need, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Yeah, that's a great thing to ask for time and ask for space. That allows you to turn inward Calm yourself down and think and then remember what you rehearsed and then say it. All right. Well, right now I want to bring in somebody who's been rehearsing backstage for 25 years. I pre-taped an interview with Jackie. Jennifer was not there for the interview. And that's why you're not hearing Jennifer jump in. She is a great comedian. And she's a comic who tours all the time, a lot of the time. She's also a very good host. She has two great podcasts, The Dork Forest, which is amazing, which talks to people about their passions, no matter what they are. The Jackie and Laurie Show, which actually tours around, is going to be on the road in the next month. Comedy album on Amazon called Staycation. And uh, welcome to the program, the great Jackie Cation. Jackie, uh, first of all, Ed Krasnick, uh, yes. Let me, let me just say, first of all, you're you're an industry. Since James Brown has been dead, <laughs> yes, th- there is nobody who has more going on. Oh, um, many law, lo- many irons, many fires. But that <laughs> comes from your dad, doesn't it? Wasn't your dad like Mister Industry? Your dad was like the ultimate salesman. Here's the thing about Elliot Cation. I was just talking to him. And he was telling me that he's gotten into several fender benders, but everybody's paid him because it was their fault. 
And I was like, please do not use your car as a money-making tool at the age of 84, LA education. Uh, you're killing me. You know, during lockdown, one of my fans was like, your dad paints things. Could he paint a Batman for me? And I was like, my dad doesn't care about Batman. He would, if you would give him $100, he would do it. A secondary industry of my father, painting acrylics has been created. And so people ask, like, I just got one today. uh, Some woman was like, would your dad paint me one painting of a squirrel doing something weird and one painting of an owl looking irritated? I'm going to put them next to each other. And I was like, here's what I can tell you, that my father will paint you a squirrel and another painting of an owl if you give him $200 plus shipping. And she's like, I'll take it. And I was like, all right. I am amazed at this, but I'm not surprised, really. I'm amazed and yet not surprised. Your dad is using his car as a demolition (laughs) test uh, pace car. Your dad seems to live life. He seems to live it. He really does. My brother, Phil, was like, we got to get that car away from him. And I said, it'd be like cutting off his legs, Phil. And he goes, no, we just have to teach him how to use Uber. And I was like, yes, he can be taught. And and when he wants to do something, which is him wanting to wander the earth, he will figure out how to do it. But it's so funny because what did Phil say to me today? He said something about my dad and the car thing. Oh, that he told my dad, he said, you know, you're 85. If you kill yourself, we don't care. You've had a good run, but you might kill somebody else. And I was like, you said that out loud to him? And Phil goes, well, he knows he's 85. And I was like, yes, yes, he does. <laughs> I was like, all right, man. But you might kill someone else. So you don't want to think of your dad as a, as a potential murderer. but At all. You, but you may. Look, any one of us, who among us could say <laughs> that we won't kill someone tomorrow um, in today's world? Who among I, us? <laughs> I, I have actually said this on stage, which I thought was very interesting. And I don't know if I could do it again. But I said, you know, I would tell you people to rise up and take up arms against the bad guys, except that I'm unwilling to do it. So I can't. It's hard for me to tell you to really, really hot up the civil war on the good guy side. Only the bad guys have somebody telling them, hey, you should you should really start getting you should be killing people more. Well, I like you should be dancing. Yeah, is the is this this phrase I want to hear. I wish that I had the faith and this this firm belief of people who could do civil disobedience and actually stick with it. Like, I wish I could be in Gandhi's community when people laid down in front of horses. Tiananmen Square. I mean, that dude, you know, they they dragged that guy off and he was never heard of again. And he was, I believe, 19. And it does help when you're 19. We did a bunch of sit-ins back in the 80s when I was 19. And but nobody cared. Right. I mean, it was 1983, 85, 87 and I, or whatever. And it was these, you know, it was apartheid. It was, you know, a lot of these Iran Contra. I forget whether whatever. I've been to several. <laughs> I've done I've done some on the streets protesting. Currently, I mostly just show show up with like a Black Lives. Very rarely will I show up with a Black Lives Matter sign. And it Wait. isn't quite as as proactive. Well, it's gotten it's gotten different. I think we become so disconnected is the thing. And the ironic part of it, and of course with COVID, there's a reason, more even more reason for isolation. But the solutions lie in connecting with other people. 
and other people in your community and people in your neighborhood. There is a difference, by the way, of having a conversation when you're looking at the person and they're not in a screen. There's a visceral, emotional, physical, chemical difference. True. And this is like we're we're over Zoom right now. And it right. there is value in this. Like there's I like this better than phone calls. Yeah. Because there's more body language. I was I was at a I was at something the other day and I had mostly done it over the last two years. And I was like, look at all you look at all your shoes. I see so many shoes. But I do think that that it was harder to isolate in a neighborhood could be done, just meant that you didn't knock on your neighbor's doors, didn't meant that you didn't talk to your neighbors or your people. We had a neighbor when I was kids, we barely knew any of our neighbors. We knew their names. But I remember when Mrs. Grubschmidt ran over to our house at dinner time, rang the door a bunch of times. My, I think my stepmother yelled at me, is that one of your friends who wants to play? Because that's the ringing it too much. And I was like, I'll go, I'll go check, I'll go check. And I go down and it's Mrs. Grubschmidt who lives behind us, the mayor's wife. Their house was on fire. So she was like, hey, can you guys call the fire department? Our house is on fire. I had never met her. Uh, you said your house is on fire. Who are you? Right. Which house? Which Are you Mrs. Mogg? Are you yeah. Mrs. Grubschmidt? Are you Mrs. Klump? We were surrounded by people with amazing names. Those are ama- Those are like characters in a comic book series. Those are I like. Know. I've always wanted to write fiction with actual names from South Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, my God. Mrs. Grubschmidt and Mrs. Klump. Right there, I have a miniseries. Uh-huh. The Grubschmitz and the Clumps. Dave Clump used to play basketball. No. And we would sit down to dinner and you could hear him outside. And I think it was Nancy who one time coined the phrase clump, clump, swish. Because uh, it was a lot of clumping <laughs> with the basketball. Because he was just bragging. He was just shooting. Uh, he was just shooting hoops. That's hysterical. Clump, clump, swish. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I love the folksiness of it, the neighborhoodness of it. You know, again, I like anything that speaks of a land where people are alive, <laughs> even if it's passing time, but you're alive. And I think growing do you, up, do you need connection? Different... Are you talking about alive? You mean some sort of connection? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people, you know, uh, people can survive. You know, this is a time of survival. It's a time when people are really, the planet is very focused. It's not how how much alive could you be. Now, of course, there's a lot of people who aren't alive, literally. But I'm talking about engaged, thinking beyond the next thing. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know, some kind of, not spirit, not religious, but actual <laughs> belief in something bigger than my desk and my right. phone. Right. Um, Just some sort of connection with if it's the universe or if it's the earth or if it's a pile of trees that you happen to love or if it's a God of your understanding. Right. Obviously. Right. right. Something like that. There's amazing things that are going on every day that we don't hear about or talk about or get access to because we don't know where to find it. It's not top news. It's not going to it's not going to keep you paralyzed. (laughs) You got to look for the good news and you got to look for. Yeah, you got to look for the good things in life to some extent, because bad guys want to control you by just telling you about the bad news. They, they want to keep you scared. So, well, there's something to, to that, uh, to how your brain works and having fight or flight. If they keep you in fight or flight and in conflict, what happens is you become a consumer and it's really easy to 
then try to fill those things with consuming all kinds of things. I think that they, you become a reactor, you know, yes. consuming is a reaction. You know, Ron Funches, I was just telling him the other day, he's a comic, very funny guy. Yeah. And uh, he does these affirmations on his Instagram, right? He will just talk into the camera and he's like, I hope you're feeling good about yourself today. You know, I hope you're feeling strong. I hope you're feeling brave. And a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about Christmas. He was like, you know, I want to share what I've got with uh, with people who need it. I want to get gifts for people who really need it. My wife and son do not need anything else. And it made me laugh so hard because his wife and son, I mean, if they want something, like if his son wants a toy, if it's not every day and it's not ridiculous, he has the income to just get it for him. So he doesn't really need anything probably besides socks and underwear. But when we were kids, or if you're broke yeah. and you have kids, you spend a good portion of your time going, where am I going to find money for socks and underwear? So it's a, you know, it's a different thing, but. You know, when they did the movie Happy, I think there was a movie called Happy and they studied the science of well-being and the science of happiness. What may, What is it that makes people happy? The first thing that they discovered from going all over the world, talking to people and measuring these kinds of things is being connected to other people and a sense of purpose. That was one and two. Money was 10. Money was 10. Yeah. On a list of 10 things, money was 10. And then other things like connection and a sense of purpose were the biggest things. A sense of giving. It is funny how giving makes you truly feel good. Yeah. Unless you're giving somebody a, a hibachi, and that's really a crime. Or the business. <laughs> don't give me the business. <laughs> I don't want, don't be giving me the business. I don't have time for that. <laughs> that sounds very wisconsin -y. Yeah, from the Appalachians. A lot of people don't know this about me. I was raised in the Depression. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you must be using a nice moisturizer. It's all well, working out. Because you can set that, you can set the Zoom thing to uh, get rid of all uh, sign of age. Of aging. I There's have to filter. learn about these filters. Oh, yeah. It almost it almost removes my nose. I almost don't have a nose because it's is, just like, oh, is there a filter that says don't look like Ed Krasnick? And it just, <laughs> is it particular is there a slimming? But yeah. no, there is not. Uh, yeah. There is on Snapchat. But, you know, yeah. you do what you can. You do what you can with the filters available. Ed I, I think you got to you got to get to know your filters. If you're watching this, uh, get to know your filters is my number one thing for 2022. And I will Please use, start you know. another podcast called Filter Talk. <laughs> there's gonna, just there's all I call it filters. There's all filtering. <laughs> there's all kinds of filters and we're going to cover all of them. I'm doing three different podcasts at the same time. I used to work for Ryan Seacrest a long time ago. Yeah. And he was doing 10 shows at the same time. And he you would swear that he would make believe and be able to make you believe that if you put a piece of paper in front of him and it said, we're here in the studio with J-Lo, you actually I would look around. I would be like, is she here? <laughs> and then I put another piece of paper in front of him that says, and that's what the news is on AT40. And then another piece of paper goes in and he's doing three or four shows at the same right. time. He's just doing intros and interstitials and all simultaneous, all simultaneously. And he's none of it's real. Like where he is, he's standing. <laughs> he's actually thinking about a sandwich. He's thinking about and, a sandwich and he makes you believe. But there's a tremendous belief. See, I can do that, too, but it's not real. And you don't believe anything. <laughs>
See, I can do the same thing. I'm living the life of Judy Garland without all the singing and dancing. That's wow. my that's the difference. Would you ever did you ever want to sing and dance? Oh, yeah. You wanted to be a sing and dance guy? Oh, yeah. Musical. If I could do music, I did a little musical theater. But if I could really do musical theater and just be one of those people, mm-hmm. I would love it. I've never really done a play, but I was involved in a class for singing for actors. And there were a lot of famous people in there. And you brought your music and you had an accompanist. And then there was a teacher who talked you through what your song was going to be. And she was a sweet woman who actually starred in West Side Story. And she was great. But she Mm -hmm. looked at me and she said, you know what, sweetie, I'm going to give you a role. This is great for you. This is perfect for you. It's called Buddy's Blues. And the role is from the show Follies, Stephen Sondheim's Follies. It's about a guy who stops the show in the middle of the show because he's having a nervous breakdown. And I think that that will be just great for you, sweetheart. But in one of my acting classes, it was amazing. And it wasn't wrong. It was all about typecasting, essentially. There was this thing about how you had to know what you were going to be cast as. And you could try to rise above it. And you could do, you know, you could lend Manuel Miranda yourself if you had that kind of energy. But for the most part, it was people are like, you're an airport cop. You know, you're uh, somebody's aunt, somebody's favorite aunt. Or you're a jackass who's in a parking lot yelling at some kids. And whenever young black men see you, they think to themselves, is this going to be a thing? So, I mean, that that is who that is what people see. And it is unfortunate. I don't want to be that in real life. Right. That's, but I am willing to portray any of that on, on the television. That's what you want to do. And you don't uh, you have no filter. You right? go in. We'll bring it back to filter talk. Have you had great teachers like great. I've had really good teachers. I've had teachers that have kind of blown my mind, but I think that it was very introductory where I don't know that they were what they were getting out of me, but I would, I would see what they were getting out of other people. I've had really good teachers. I took a, it was, a, I think it was two nine week classes that were intense. They were five days a week. It was 9am to 1pm. Wow. And what I liked about it was it felt real. You know, it felt like a real learning experience where I got to know the other actors as we were learning. They were all 12 years old. I was 100, but I felt connected to them and I got to know their personalities and I got to know, and it went through the different kinds of acting, the different kinds of acting for television, acting for the stage, you know, some of the method stuff, a little bit, not no mime really, but could have been. Could have been some mime. There was a lot of just sort of living in the moment kind of stuff. And then there was the business side of it. And I remember I got my headshots. We, we had to get our headshots. And it was probably 10 years ago. And I was like, I really like this one. And the teacher was the business teacher. He owned the, the studio. He goes, you know, that is a really, really beautiful, great picture of you. And you're going to get a lot of auditions because of that picture. It was a mop and glow. I look like a mop and glow ad. And he said, you're going to get a lot of auditions because of this picture. And then you're going to show up because <laughs> professionals were involved. I had been hosed down and my hair was done and my makeup was done. And I got what he meant. And I don't know if there would have been an easier, nicer way for him to say it. Well, it's amazing how skilled somebody can be in one thing and completely gone in the other sector. Like I had a TV producer once who banged his fists on the table. He said, what business are we in? And he screamed it. Yeah. And people are looking around like, I got to get out of here. 
Um, right. So what business are we in? He said, we're in the communications business. That's the business we're in. So if you don't know how to communicate, get the fuck out. <laughs> you know, and that's a great way to communicate that thought. Yeah, you know? that, that real that feels solid. Yeah, <laughs> it's a solid thing. I find to me, nothing is more entertaining than watching an acting class. To me, there should be an acting class channel. Because, oh, my God. <laughs> because that would. But it has to be a specific kind of acting class. It's like the acting class that takes place in the show Barry that Henry Winkler is teaching. It's an acting class that's off of Ventura Boulevard in Tarzana. And it's it's like off the beaten path. And it's a guy who takes it very seriously. People are trying really hard. That is what you want to see on an acting class channel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. I don't, you know, it, it feels a little bit like I have a hard time with all reality television. Like I tried to watch Intervention once and I was like, well, this is just I'm going to burst into tears. This is a snuff bill. We're just watching these people <laughs> die in slow motion. I can't possibly. It's, uh, hey, Kaneki, you look like you got a lot to offer a girl. Uh, <laughs> this, so. is, this is a snuff film. That, that would be a great way to actually talk to your therapist to say, you know, when I come to therapy, I feel like I'm in a snuff film. <laughs> I don't know. Does that mean anything? Your, you? your therapist doesn't need. Here's what my I had therapy for like three or four years. It was amazing. Changed my life. When we were done, she was like, you're better. You know, this is an ongoing process, but I don't think I can't do much more for you except for raise my rates. But what she had told me when we first started, she said, no working on jokes. I don't want you to try to be funny with me. This is expensive. You're paying me. We're going to do the work. If you're willing to do the work, I'm willing to help you with it. If you're not willing to do the work and it's just a comedy show, it's a waste of my time. There's not enough money in the world for me to watch you work on material. She didn't say that, but essentially that's what it was. She was like, I don't want to watch you workshop a joke. Well, she sounds great. And she also sounds a little like Debbie Allen in, in, in some ways, because she said, if you're not working, it, it costs. We got to do the work here. But that's really a great thing for a therapist to be able to say. And that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah she wasn't wrong either. And. I got a one person show out of that therapy, that whole experience. I still got stand up out of it, but we did the work. We did the work. Yeah. And what the what the one person show ended up being at the end of it was me processing all of my rage and disappointment with my upbringing. You know how like you have to process the rage and disappointment that you weren't bought, born a Rockefeller raised by, you know, June Cleaver in a vat of rising bread dough, to quote Maria Bamford. You know, everyone's childhood, there were errors made. Nobody knows what the hell they're doing. The variety of those errors and making peace with your parents and your upbringing, because they're human beings doing their best, and sometimes their best wasn't very good, is the process of growing up. And once you can make peace with it, there's hours of stand-up comedy material to be written about flawed humanity that you witnessed, that you survived, that you're actually doing your own self. Because you get this perspective of your own mistakes. Like in the moment when I am making a bad life decision, it is currently a muscle memory that I can go, hey, like a, it's almost like an out-of-body experience where like a little sprite will come out of my brain and there'll be like a little satellite view of myself. And I'm going, hey, Demi, she just stole your gas pump. This isn't the end times. This is not a reason to overreact. You're going to have to apologize to her 
in about 10 minutes or 10 seconds if you act on this. So it's this type of thing, right? Most people don't learn growing up that you have choices about how you relate to your thoughts and feelings. Most people don't know that. And you're just running the whole of your childhood forward momentum the whole time. And no one tells you if you stop and use your brain and think about think something through. My husband actually was raised to think things through. So it can be done. And the way his father did it was not particularly kind. He was about nine years old. And his dad said to him, son, and he always called him that. He said, son, before you say anything, I want you to take a look around the room and think to yourself, does anyone give a shit? He was nine and Clyde Ashcraft said that to him. And it sounds mean, but what it created was a dude who literally thinks before he speaks. See, that's really that's really a terrific, uh, terrific gift, because, you know, what you might hear mental health or resilience or whatever you want to call it. It's not the feelings or the thoughts. It's how you respond to those feelings. and thoughts. It's actually it's choices that you make. They're choices. Mm-hmm. And conscious choices and conscious choices in today's world is a big action. It's a huge thing. It's also really good for the people around you. It should be the name of a cereal. <laughs> should be the name of a cult, you know, so that that's really big stuff. The thing that you mentioned about, you know, therapy and childhood, these are very powerful things that we carry around with us. If they go unexplored, if they go, if you go without the support, if you can't do it and you're always consuming and covering it over, covering it up, you're walking around with it. So one night I was doing a show and I realized, you know why people are tired? Most people are tired because they're carrying emotions. They're actually carrying old emotions. I'm carrying an emotion that I had when I was four. It's tiring. It's very (laughs) draining. It's very draining. That's yeah, you got to bleed that off. You got to bleed off that stuff. Yeah. You got to lance that boil, my friends. Sure, sure. Yeah. But that's really, you know, and acting, you know, therapeutically is sometimes good, you know, good, good for that. Um, just to feel something and realize it's OK to have feelings. You don't have to run uh, or chase or do something with it. You can just feel it and move on. It's not going to kill you. That's my book. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> Subtitled. It made you stronger, didn't it? Huh? Walk it off. And, uh... well, I love walk it off. I love the tag. My favorite are the taglines. Get used to it. Almost any line you can make into a tagline. Get used to it. Deal pick with up, it. Pick up the pace. Uh... That's right. That's right. Can I get you... a witness? Yeah. Are you heating the outdoors? Uh, <laughs> they're, anything. They're anything. all taglines and they're all great. If you do a tagline with any stand up routine, I used to do nothing but tagline. It was all like. <sighs> Bad jokes and then a tagline. Here's my thing is I've got all of my jokes are at least three minutes long. They started out at six. So once I've I've gotten them down to three and a half well four, right? So there's a beginning and an end. I try to always put a button punchline at the end, but peppered through it are tags, throwaways. I tell this very, very classy joke about finding a cock ring on the ground on an airport uh, in a hotel a couple of years ago. I thought it was a hair tie. Uh, It was a hotel that I was in. I I was looking for an earring on the floor and I picked up this thing that I thought was a hair tie. I knew it wasn't my hair tie, but I had to throw it out because that's how I live my life. And the line that I is my favorite line in the thing is that's how I live my life. Punched in doing side work hoping not to lose shifts. 
That's my favorite image in that entire bit because the rest of the bit is kind of just a gross joke about a gross thing. And then a math joke at the end. But uh, it's like, it's such a weird bit start to finish, but that tag in the middle, that's my little sweet spot. And the, and the people that love that line are my best friend. I'm telling some story about, you know, me wanting to hit on guys, like being attracted for the first time. Zola, my new album and my new special, you guys, called Staycation. Available everywhere, streaming. And the video just on uh, YouTube. Your but dad would have loved what you just did. I just should have worked that plug in. I talk about when I was about 13 or 14, start being when I first started being attracted to young men. And I would see a fella across the room and I'm like, what? What is that? Why? Why is that making? Because whatever it is, it's happening also here. Like whatever's going on in across the room, just looking at that dude, I got the Peter Tingles back this direction, right? And Peter Tingles, funny line. But Peter Tingles is a reference to Spider-Man. I think like the second Spider-Man movie or possibly even one of the like Avengers or something where it isn't really even a Spider-Man movie. But it was fun for me. Because now we're just talking about tags and how much we both love It's a, these things are a release. You need those in your, you know, you need those when you're a performer. And by the way, everything that you're talking about, you know, before and with therapy and with all these things, all these, this life material, this is what our artists do. This is what art is. That's what good, you know, when John Lennon, and I'm not comparing what I'm doing to, to, to John Lennon, but what John Compare Lennon what did, I'm doing to John Lennon. That's, well, I, that's exactly what I was doing. Like John Lennon. That's what you two. When I think of John, I think of you, I think of John, George, Ringo and Jackie and um, Yoko and Yoko. And, oh, those, those document, that documentary, which I saw a little bit of it. It's really funny to be watching your favorite band of all time that just gave you so much joy in your life and continues to do that and watching a documentary of them where they're sitting in a room like for hours together and they're just sitting around and it's like you're watching them and you're like i love this these people but i can't do. no i can't yeah. do that i can't yeah. do it's like when you sit around with people if you're just sitting around with them like you could be sitting around with uh, jfk <laughs> it's jfk but you're just sitting and they liked each other enough to sit in a room with each other for hours. Well, it is amazing in that regard. Yeah, they really did like each other. And that's what you come away with is they these people really did like each other and they really had a lot of fun together. When I hang out with my with, with my siblings or if I hang out with my husband, my husband and I do a lot of what we call. And this is a term that they use with toddlers. Uh, we do what we call parallel play and parallel play. We're both reading. We're not watching or like sometimes we'll watch TV together, but for the most part, he's on his computer. I'm on my computer. I'm on my phone playing Marvel Puzzle Quest. He's on his phone playing Marvel Puzzle Quest. We're both reading different comic books or different books. There is a serenity and a peace of mind of that where you're like, yeah, I'm with this guy. I like this guy. Or I'm just sitting around with my sister and we're just kind of, you know, she's reading her thing and I'm just hanging out. You'll be like, ha, I just read this thing. I got to tell you this. And that's where some connection happens as well, which is kind of neat. It's called Find companionship. Somebody. It's companionship. It's, lo- it's community. It's company. And it is the, the highest quality. It's one of the highest qualities, a state of being. It really is amazing. You feel full and you don't want for anything and you're not really doing anything. You're really just soaking in the company of another person. 
there's an absence of loneliness. Though I used to, you know, when I lived alone for about three, sometimes I think glorious years, I lived alone. And whenever I would leave something around my apartment, it would still be there. It was pretty great. <laughs> there was times when I wasn't lonely at all. You know, a lot of times living alone, you there's plenty of times when I wasn't. I was psyched. I was psyched to be alone. Yes. And I was psyched to be able to just sit and I could read. I could make my dinner. And then if I wanted companionship, if I wanted people, I'd call somebody. I'd say, hey, do you want to go to dinner or lunch or breakfast? But one of the things I learned in late childhood, sort of teen, teen years, and then have been working on for the ensuing 40 is that if I want to hang out with people, I have to ask. Some people are like, well, people should ask me. And I'm like, yeah, people should. Uh, in other news, if they don't, uh, you're gonna, you're not going to hang out with anybody. So why don't you ask that? Like I have friends and there's varying degrees of how bad you can sort of blow me off. Right. Because I know that everybody's busy. I'm busy. And I'm like, do you want to go to breakfast? They're like, yes. 15 minutes before they're like, I can't come or I forgot. Or 15 minutes after where I'm like, hey, I'm at the restaurant. Oh, I forgot. And there's some of that I can handle. It entirely depends like what I get from that friendship. You know, am I getting anything from it? And if I'm not getting anything from it, I have to try with a different person. Are you able to say I'm not getting anything uh, from this? And I, I don't want wanna... it like that. All right, I, just, not, it's, I uh, think yeah. it'd be better to. You know, I, let's, I just let's... stop calling some people yeah. and they never they never initiate contact. So it doesn't even matter. Yeah. And other people. Like if they want to hang out, we hang out. But if they're just sort of, you know what? My therapist, I am reminded that my therapist who I, I had for those four years, she wrote a book. She can't possibly still be alive. I think she was in her late 60s, 20 years ago. And she might be alive. I mean, people live. She wrote this book called, Are You in Love with a Vampire? It was about emotional and just the draining of your energy kind of thing. That's what the book was about. And it was kind of the greatest name of any therapy book ever. Her website had a lightning bolt on it. It was a lot of, a lot of things were happening. She was an amazing therapist. Patchouli, you know, Crystal, it was, her game was on when it came to some words and, and some images, <laughs> but she was genuinely an amazing therapist. And if someone is just essentially just using me to talk them off the ledge every time, Right. They're just essentially being that vampiric thing. I can't do it because then there's not enough left for me. I don't want to end up killing myself because I've been of too much service to the world. And you can literally feel those things. You feel the energy draining and then you look over and they go to sleep in a coffin. So you're thinking, boy, that's a vampire right there. And the thing that happens, I think, too, sometimes is the work. Some of the people in life you know, that, are, that I'm, that are in sort of in my community, but maybe feel like a little bit of work sometimes, which I'm sure I do as well, is because of something I'm not saying. In other words, there's something I'm whole, there's something that I have to say. And the words might be, I don't want to do that right now because it's not a good time, but I can do it later, but I'm not great at setting limits. So as a result, it feels like a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and there's, I, and there's I my part of it. Is my part yeah. of it. And then there's people like you're saying who, you know, hey, I'm at the restaurant and they're like, well, I'm in Baltimore and I I'm water skiing, you know, <laughs> right, right. I've decided 
that I got a better off. Adulthood is, I mean, the benefits of it outweigh how difficult it can be. And if, and if you embrace adulthood completely, you can get some real peace of mind, some real serenity, some real awareness of your limits without limiting yourself. To know your limitations isn't, doesn't mean that you're limiting yourself. You can still try anything. Now, your tagline goes on after that. Deal with it. Smoke it up. See you at the premiere. Um, that, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I love don't seeing the premiere. No. See yeah. you at the premiere. Yeah. Now, tell everyone I was here to the bitter end. And I love talking to you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. I love always it. It's a pleasure. Jackie, thank you so much uh, for being here today. You have to check her website, jackiecation.com. I want to thank Jennifer Kalari, as always, for her amazing skills, commentary, insights, and find her work at connectedparenting.com, connectedparenting.com. Find everything there, media, podcasts, all kinds of classes, all kinds of training, all kinds of self-parenting skills and skills for parents and families and every, everyone. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you go, you can find the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. You can also find all the show notes at makelightmedia.com, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, makelightmedia.com. Write us. Tell us about something that you wish you knew as a kid. Either it's a mental health thing or it could be some kind of knowledge, some kind of life skill that you wish you knew as a kid. You know it now, but you wish you knew it as a kid. Anything. Anything. I'd love to hear it. You can write to ed at makelightmedia.com. Ed at makelight, one word, media.com. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. We'll see you next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube